Hello everybody, this is another one in our series 168 Things We've Learned About Creative Marketing. It's a grey afternoon in November, we're in lockdown again, but there's good news on the horizon. Tidings of a vaccine coming soon, that hopefully will mean this pandemic will be brought under control, provided that the powers that be can organise a vaccination programme that is efficient and effective. Let's see what happens. In the meantime, we're continuing to make podcasts because people have told us that they enjoy them and they find them useful. One of the things that I'd like to do going forward also is to make the podcast more clearly differentiated in certain categories. So we have in the past had interviews with people, which have been great, and we want to go on doing that. We've got a few more people lined up. Uh, I'll tell you more about that on another occasion as we've got them booked in. We've also talked in general terms about being in business, being a leader of a creative business. There's quite a lot more to say about that, and I hope that uh, people continue to find that useful. Uh, Chalice, my partner who's not with me today, back on the demolition, I'm afraid, Um, she's uh, very keen that we should do more about creative operations, which is very practical and important. And, of course, uh, given my uh, career history as a creative, I'm very keen to do podcasts about that, about how to have ideas, how to be a better writer, or how to even begin as a writer. Um, And uh, hopefully we can also induce some people who uh, come from the art direction side to come on and talk about that and why that's important. So some threads that could be very useful, I hope, and we'll we'll try and flag them up in the podcast description so people can see more clearly what it is they might be getting into. And in addition to that, we've had quite a lot of response from people asking questions that they'd like us to address in the podcast. And that led us to think that maybe there was room for a, a, a an agony aunt and uncle session on a regular basis. Um, And when I proposed that, my dear partner said to me, do people know what agony aunts are anymore? Is that a thing in the modern world of social media? So I've checked in with my 16, no, sorry, she's 17 now, my 17-year-old daughter, who is obviously a member of Generation Z. And uh, she told me uh, that agony aunts are indeed a thing. People still understand what that is. So that's good news because it would have been hopeless to launch into something that people had no idea what it actually meant. So in order for us to do that successfully, what we need is people to send in questions and problems, and we will do our best either to answer them ourselves or to find somebody who can. And therefore, I have set up a an email address that you can use to email us, and that is 168things at gmail.com. 168 in numerals, things obviously in letters, all lowercase, 168things at gmail.com. So if you'd like to send us a question, a problem, something you think we might be able to help you with, I can't promise that we'll be able to give you sensible answers for everything, um, but we might be able to give you an entertaining answer, and certainly we will do our best to be helpful. Okay, today... I want to talk about something else, Uh, well, something related. I was asked recently how it came about that I became uh, what I now 
have been for many years, which is uh, a creative director in and a creative, or chief creative officer, as we call ourselves now, in the marketing agency business. And um, I've referred to this, I think, once or twice in podcasts before, but for a reason that will become apparent towards the end of this podcast. Today is a really good day to talk about it. It all happened for me it, way back in, in uh, 1988, when I was at that time employed as a, as a teacher in a comprehensive school in Bristol. And I'd been a teacher for four years at the time. And for a number of reasons, I was not really enjoying it very much. I entered the teaching profession in 1984. And for those of you that can remember that far back or may have been pupils at that time, the uh, education system in this country was under attack at that point from its political leaders, um, principally Kenneth Baker, who was the Education Secretary in Margaret Thatcher's government, who, as many politicians before and since, made it his business to make teachers' lives difficult. Um, I'm not talking party politics here. This can come from both sides of the House of Commons. But it's very common for societal ills to be blamed on teachers um, because, after all, they, through the the hands of teachers pass the nation's children and then the nation's children go on to do wonderful things but also occasionally terrible things and of course the teachers are blamed for the terrible things not so much for the great things and the other thing that happens and has happened on numerous occasions before I was a teacher and since is that the exam system is fiddled about with and changed to suit whatever political ideology happens to be prevailing at the time so when I was in teaching, we were presiding over the introduction of the GCSE exam system, uh, which continues to this day, of course, and it replaced the old O-levels and CSEs, which were deemed to be unsatisfactory for a number of reasons and probably were. But the introduction of the uh, GCSE programme coincided with a period of industrial action by teachers, which made it almost impossible to administer properly. Um, it was a trying time, I will say that. And I guess uh, for me, being a teacher was a useful experience in a lot of ways because I learnt to address large numbers of uh, not necessarily very willing listeners, which of course translated in later life into a successful career in pitching, where hopefully the audience is a little more willing and less unruly, certainly less inclined to throw things than children maybe in a classroom. And that was one of the things that I learned to do. I also became uh, a leader of one of the trade unions in the teaching profession because I felt that uh, there was a lot to be said in opposition to the government's plans for us. Um, again, that gave me the opportunity to stand on various platforms and, and spout, uh, which it translates further into pitch success, perhaps. However, I didn't enjoy teaching. I found it a difficult profession. I realised after a while that it wasn't for me. And I think this really came to me, as many things do, when you're um, able to get away into the wilds. And one of the things that we've talked about, and we'll talk about again, is 
I fervently believe that one of the ways to have access to ideas and to your inner thoughts is to go walking and to go and to go walking for a long distance if you possibly can. And I'm, I'm in good company here. This was uh, recommended by Nietzsche, who said only the only ideas that have any merit are those that come to you while you're walking. Henri Poincaré, the mathematician, the French mathematician who believed that walking loosened ideas in your head and made them knock together to create new syntheses of ideas. For me, uh, I spent an afternoon, well, a whole day walking the Brecon Beacons, which was close enough to Bristol to be accessible for a, a long walk and a very beautiful place to go. I completely recommend it. And during the course of the day walking the Brecon Beacons, my main attention was on the walk and the natural beauty surrounding me. But I was turning over in my mind my unhappiness with my chosen career. Uh, it was, I think, September or October. The weather was great. I was happy to be outside. And the last thing I was looking forward to was going back to work on Monday uh, in school. I'd really come to the end of the line with it. And as luck would have it, I was uh, due to go to dinner that evening and in the house of a friend, a colleague, uh, who was also a teacher uh, with a couple of other teachers, but also some other guests, one of whom was a very close friend of one of my colleagues and her name was Fiona Ross. She later married and became Fiona Godwin-Brown. Now Fiona, I'd met a few times before, and she was an incredibly glamorous character. She was tall, she was witty, she was articulate, she was very entertaining company, and she worked in advertising, or she had done, um, which is, uh, from the perspective of a teacher, about as alien a profession as you can imagine. And there she was at the dinner table holding forth and um, being very good company. And she asked me at one point, was I still unhappy in my chosen career at the time as a teacher? And I said, yes, Fiona, I'm afraid it really isn't for me. And I've come to the conclusion this afternoon that uh, what I absolutely have to do is get out. And she said, well, I think you should come and visit the place where I work. And I said, okay, that sounds interesting. Where is that? And she said, well, I don't work in advertising anymore. I work in something called direct marketing. And I said, I have no idea what direct marketing is. Please tell me. And uh, she gave me a very brief, thankfully, explanation of direct marketing. It didn't, we didn't need to go into the great details about data and profiling and whatnot. But she said to me, the person that you need to meet, absolutely, is the creative director. And I said to her, I have no idea what a creative director is. I've never heard of such a being. And she said, well, that is the person you need to meet. Trust me, I'll arrange it if you like, and you can come and spend a day there. And she did. She was true to her word. And a couple of weeks later, I found myself in Sirencester, surprisingly, at the uh, offices of what was then called Christian Bran, and then later became Bran Direct Marketing, and then just Bran, and then became part of EHS later, and is now part of Havis Helia. Um, but anyway, at the time it was Christian Brand, and it turned out to be the second largest direct marketing agency in the UK, which was a bit of a surprise to find it in Sirencester, but there it was. And 
It had on site a printing press, which was, or several printing presses in a building, but also more to the point, an agency. And in the agency were, I would say, at the time there must have been twenty odd creatives, led by a creative director called Graham Robertson. And Graham was a legend in the industry. It turned out, and I was introduced to him, and so I very quickly came to understand what a creative director was namely an inspirational figure with great things to say about the, his chosen profession, somebody who can turn the raw material of young creatives into world-beating award-winning copywriters and art directors, and who can transform the fortunes of his agency and make it uh, uh, something that is recognised the world over through awards and through its success with its clients. And indeed, he'd been doing that for a while. The shelves and the windowsills of the agency, the creative department, were littered with Echo Awards and DMA Awards and one thing and another. It was a very successful agency at that time. And Graham said to me, can you write? And I said, yes, because I'd been writing really since I had been able to pick up a pen as a child. And so it, it was a kind of secret uh, occupation of mine. So he said, okay, here's a copy test. A copy test is a thing that you rarely encounter these days, but it's a really good thing to give to young aspiring or even older aspiring writers. And uh, I took it away and uh, I, I wrote copy in answer to the various questions on it. And I spent the rest of the day knocking around in the creative department. I thought this is, I thought this is a fantastic place. People are having, and for a start, in contrast to school, there are carpets on the floor and the ceilings don't leak and the place is actually warm. Uh, it's quite noisy, a bit like a classroom in that respect. Um, people are smoking and swearing as they used to do in those days, um, which is unlike um, the actual classroom, but quite like the staff room in most schools. And generally there was an atmosphere of people having a good time and enjoying themselves and doing something that they really felt was uh, worthwhile and rewarding. And so I thought, yeah, I'd love to do that. And to my great good fortune, uh, Graham contacted me, well, he, one of his minions contacted me a couple of days later and said, we think that you would make a copywriter and would you like to come and talk to us again? And I did so and Graham said to me, well, I'm going to offer you a job as a trainee copywriter. You'll be paid this, which at the time seemed like a fabulous amount of money compared to teaching. And I now know it's the smallest amount you could ever offer any creative, but nevertheless, it was an improvement. And he said, in three months time, I will either give you a raise or fire you. And that's how this is going to go. And so I thought, okay, I'll take my chances. I went back to school and you can't resign in the middle of a school term. You have to wait to the end of term to leave. And uh, Graham had very kindly said that would be okay and that I could start the following January. I went back to school um, and I was greeted by my colleagues with, um, well, they were pleased for me that I'd found a way out because I, I think I might have made it clear that I wasn't happy. The idea that I was going into what they viewed as a branch of advertising was not so well received. I think, uh, as I said already, uh, this was a world that's fairly antithetical to the world of teaching. And I think I would have been treated with more respect if I'd said I was going to go and be employed on a pirate ship than actually going and joining an advertising agency. But nevertheless, that was my choice. 
the headmaster counseled me and told me that I was in a job for life and what a crazy thing to do to leave a job that had such a magnificent uh, long-term career and a pension pot at the end of it. And I said to him, um, I'm not really thinking about pensions right now. Um, and, and we had a longish conversation about the future of education, as a matter of fact. And in the end, he said, OK, well, obviously you have to do what you want to do. And so I left teaching and I rolled up at Bran the following January um, and started my career as a copywriter. And Fiona, Fiona Ross, as she then was, was one of the account directors who had a group of accounts. And I worked on some of those with her, which was a huge pleasure. And uh, I hope that in so doing, I paid back some of her kindness in finding me that entry into the world that I found myself in. Uh, we certainly enjoyed working together. She left after a while. Um, I went on, I stayed at Brown, in fact, in total for 10 years. I became the creative director, the executive creative director in 1992, so three and a half years after I joined, uh, partly as a result of Graham Robertson, very sadly dying of bone cancer, which was terrible loss to all of us into the industry but I went on I, be I took her I, I, I became his successor um, joined the board and so on and so forth and then set up my own agency in 2002 with my partners Kit Capnor, Alexander Shaw and the reason why I want to mention all of this apart from describing my good fortune and my philosophy in life which is leap and a net will appear um, you should you should take an opportunity like that when it's given to you. And you should also pay it forward, which is something I've always tried to do ever since then. I, I tried to emulate Fiona in when people came to me who had an ambition to enter our world, who has the potential. It, that's all. They didn't need to have any proof of it, just the potential or the desire to become a creative or any other kind of person working in the industry. I would say, yes, okay, let, let's give it a go. Come for a couple of weeks, come for a day, come for a couple of weeks, come for a month, whatever it might be that we could fit in. And by doing that, I've managed to, over the years, find uh, colleagues in the creative department and elsewhere in my agencies who've gone on to be huge successes. So I I think keeping that open door and allowing people to uh, come in from wherever they might be is hugely valuable because it enriches the DNA of the agency world. It's, you know, it's great that people go and study and do courses in marketing and advertising and one thing and another, but it is also wonderful to have people come in from, as I did teaching or nursing, as my group head did at Bran, uh, Pauline Lockyer, she was formerly a nurse. There were other teachers. There were other people who had done all kinds of things. And they bring something to the party that uh, really helps, I think, from a creative point of view, certainly, to, as I say, enrich the agency. So I tried to act in that spirit that Fiona showed. And the reason I'm mentioning this today is because I heard just recently that Fiona has died I hadn't seen her for many years, and I don't know exactly what happened, but I was very sad to hear of her passing. And in recording this today, I wanted to share with you the example that she set, and also 
I wanted to say to Fiona, thank you. <laughs>